Welcome to Life Isn't Lived on a Spreadsheet with Ryan Potterack from Potterack Capital Advisory. You have unique values, objectives, fears, life experiences, and biases. Any financial professional who ignores or minimizes the importance of your story may not be able to help you achieve your ideal outcomes or hit your goals. It's time to experience the PCA difference. In this podcast, we help business executives, soon to be retirees, and solutions-based individuals overcome the anxiety leading up to their upcoming years. We do this by initiating in-depth discussions about the financial aspects of retirement, like tax planning and asset allocation, alongside, and often overlooked, personal and lifestyle aspects. Join us for this journey where we explore retirement from a contrarian point of view, as Ryan draws from years of experience and qualified guest professionals to help you explore the true purpose of your money in retirement and the impact you want to make in your golden years. Investment advice offered through Private Advisor Group, a registered investment advisor. Private Advisor Group and Potterack Capital Advisory are separate entities. This information is not intended to be a substitute for individualized legal or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor regarding your specific situation. It's your money right now. But once you depart this world, who will be in charge of it then? Have you prepared them on what to expect, where to find important documents, and which professionals they should contact? Although it can be uncomfortable and even awkward at times, maybe your money is something you should talk about before it's too late. I'm Patrice Sikora with your host, Ryan Potterack. Now, Ryan, this can be an emotionally charged issue. So how would you suggest people start the conversation? Well, hello, Patrice. And yeah, you certainly put your your thumb on it. Um, anytime, it's not something people like to think about a lot, no. but when, <laughs> when people die, there's going to be emotion. There's going to be people that might feel that they had words unsaid or didn't get the last hug or you know, I'm glad the son of a gun is gone. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, but the one the one consistent thread is that there's likely to be emotion uh, at that time and uh, and for weeks and months, if not years, going forward. Yet there are uh, really a, a significant number of decisions and actions that have to take place. And the more wealthy a situation is in a family, the potentially the more uh, that has to be done because uh, the state might be more complicated, more emotion. Uh, it can be, yeah. And, and a lot of, well, we're going to talk about how to address these issues. So I'll turn it back over to you, Patrice. But the, the big <laughs> question is, how do you start the conversation? I mean, well, really, you sit down, you sit the kids down, you say, well, I'm going to die. So this is what you're going to get. You you do have a natural dynamic where, so I'll refer to like mom and dad and then kids throughout. And to the parents, Quite naturally, they don't want to contemplate their their demise. Uh, it's not a pleasant conversation. At times, when families na- families naturally get together around holidays and birthdays, these are these are times of joy, typically. And with adult kids um, who might live all over the country and such, and have their own responsibilities, it can be somewhat rare where all mm. the family gets together. And from the parent standpoint, committing time to talk about, hey, when, when I'm dead and gone, here's how to handle things. So there's just a natural avoidance of that. Logically, intellectually, I believe that mom and dad know that that would that would make sense. It's just uncomfortable to bring up. And then on the flip side, the, the adult children, uh, for them to bring it up, uh, they don't want to be perceived as uh, vultures, for lack of right. a better. And 
And so I would say that the adult children avoid the conversation even more with their parents, but they typically, if it's a close family, the siblings will be talking to each other about it. Just, you know, you know, Hey, I saw a mom the other day and boy, she's not looking all that great. Or, Hey, do you know if they've done any planning? So they have these conversations going on in a silo, um, a parent's silo and a children's siblings silo. So where to start? I mean, for me, I'm an advocate of getting into these conversations. So I'm also a facilitator because mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if it would occur to either party naturally to bring it up. If mom and dad have, let's say they have all of their ducks in a row, they've got wills, trust, if it's applicable, powers of it, they got everything perfect. Well, in their mind, they can often think, well, we've got everything perfect. Everything's set up for our kids. It's going to be smooth as smooth can be. So therefore, why have the uncomfortable situation? They've already worked with a great attorney, et cetera. But at the same time, the challenge is, and we'll we'll dig into this, is if the children are completely unaware of the planning and their responsibilities that are documented in the estate planning documents, the wills, the trust, the powers of attorney, that can really catch people off guard uh, with the parents not around. They can wonder, well, why did they choose John instead of choosing me? Exactly. Exactly. So it can go a lot of different ways where just words on paper do not add context. After when these documents are are relevant, um, mom or dad are no longer around. So is it is it really on the parents to bring this up? I, I think that uh, I'd, I'd give at least a 60-40 weighting on the responsibility of the parents to bring it up. And so and I would come at it from this standpoint. So the parents have built up their wealth in whatever assets those are to whatever amount that, that they are. Being a good steward of their own wealth and making sure that their own wishes are carried out as they themselves would want. Now, that can be give it all to charity, it can be whatever planning they want. But when they die, they can no longer do anything. So I think the parents to get the planning right is on them. But if it involves a transfer to their children, which is where the focus Mm -hmm. of today's discussion is, then I think it's more the parents' responsibility to make sure that that's set up to happen as they wish, which means their documents need to be perfect. But I also think, assuming that they would not want their wealth being passed on to cause unnecessary uh, emotion, strife, and conflict, that's where initiating the conversation with their children so it's not some kind of a big surprise to any of the children as to how things were to play out. Is there a role for the wealth manager in here? Uh, I think so. Um, And I do think it's in the facilitator. So as the messenger... I'm neither, I'm in neither camp, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can ask the questions that I know are on the children's minds and some of the pros and cons of different strategies. And But this is also why mom and dad chose it. So I can articulate their position. And I think it just both ways, it comes off a little bit softer because I can also probably more readily communicate the rationale, why mom and dad wanted this, what their intentions were. Um, 
without without coming across as you know i'm in a particular camp it's just i'm i'm the objective third party in that regard and also i've always thought about it this way is the numbers don't matter as much as the structure and who's responsible for what so if we have three children uh that are that are intended to be heirs whether there's a half a million dollars to be inherited or 5 million or 10 million, it, it's it's really about, okay, let's just say hypothetically, one third of your parents' wealth is allotted to each of you three. One of you were to happen to predecease your mom and dad, your one third would go to your children. They've also had to, had to choose a, an executor mm-hmm. or a trustee, and they've chosen John. I'll tell you from experience, typically the parents will will choose the oldest, um, all other things being equal. It's just kind of the way they do it. But let's say, you know, if I'm communicating this to the kids, it, it's important that your parents in their estate planning choose an executor or a trustee, and they've chosen John. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that John's share is any larger. Actually, what it means is he has the responsibility uh, to put the work in and the time in to make sure that your parents' estate planning documents are carried out as they wished. Now, separately, the parents may have chosen co-executors, co-trustees. All of that is fine. Now, with three kids, uh, if if all of them were, let's say, co-executors or co-trustees, and I'm using that somewhat interchangeably, an executor who is who is in charge of carrying out the will but if a, if a family has a trust, then the trustee is the one, is the language for the person that is uh, has the responsibility of carrying out the uh, uh, the terms of the trust. Mm-hmm. But if there's all three children are co-trustees, that can work fantastic if all three get along. The parents could put a provision in there, hey, two out of three votes win. <laughs> but I will tell you with two kids and having co-trustees, you, you, these are some of the issues that the parents would have already worked through themselves and why they made certain choices. Maybe it was just John is again, John's in charge. Then it's Jennifer or whatever. Getting into this conversation would be after the parents have already gone through this and this is the way they wanted. And it wouldn't be without some thought process. I would be in the loop on that thought process due to the comprehensive holistic nature of my, of my practice. Um, and then it's really conveying, here's how things will work. John, Jennifer, and Brenda, uh, as an example, hopefully I'll remember those names if I use the story again in this <laughs> in this podcast. But the other thing that I found in, in uh, I guess, in real time having these conversations is this is a conversation that the children have, have wanted to be in for a long time because it's been kind of mysterious. And so they they tend to appreciate okay few i know my parents have done planning okay i know they're working with professionals they use an attorney their their wealth manager or their advisor seems to you know all be operating in in our parents best interest and and so the the i guess the the culture of the conversation uh, seems to be healthy which leads to if any of the children have um, an in-the-moment disagreement with their parents, it takes some chutzpah, so to speak, to engage with that. 
but at least the parents are still there so yep. they can take that that issue that chutzpah that con yes. the conflict they can take it to them and say i don't understand what what was your thinking yes as i mentioned earlier patrice is i'm not in anybody's camp per se but i have knowledge in this area so if i'm as i'm listening and facilitating if I feel that something that the parents have said or or I've said the first time that was maybe misunderstood or mischaracterized in one of the children's mind, we can we can clarify that in the moment. And having a facilitator like me in this case, it opens up this topic to where a subsequent conversation, one of the children decides they want to talk to mom and dad alone or whatever, mm -hmm. it's much easier to follow that up. But as I was touching on, what I've seen cause problems is in terms of the structure of the planning and who has what responsibility, as opposed to typically the actual wealth division is equally, unless there's um, special needs, unless there's maybe some... Um, drug or alcohol issues, that sort of thing. Also, you know, there's it's not unusual for people, parents in this case, to want to give to their church mm -hmm. or their charities and that sort of thing. And I will definitely stand up uh, for if I sense a, a child in the conversation who might want the money themselves. I mean, I'm, I'm a fairly straightforward, candid person. Um, but that message can get across without me denigrating the person, but there's a reason why people give to charities because it's meaningful to them. So I typically would say something like, you know, your parents have worked long and hard to, to create this wealth. And really it's wherever they want that wealth to go. They can't take it with them. It is, uh, it is their desire to do that. And what's important for each of you, John, Jennifer, and Brenda, to know that they have also gone the extra mile to make sure working with their attorney, working with me to make sure they have plans that are unambiguous when the time comes. And they're, today they wanted to share that clarity with you in advance. So mm -hmm. there's, nothing, uh, there's nothing gray or at least minimizing any potential gray at a time that could be quite emotional for the family. On a more positive note, perhaps, Maybe they want to accelerate their gifting. Maybe the parents want to give the kids some of the money now. What kind of response do you get to that? Yeah, and it's something that I encourage, Patrice, that the um, in in saying over and over to parents, you know, you can't take it with you. You know, your your current estate planning says that each of your three kids get it equally. Wouldn't it be nice if you were actually able to? see the smile on their face or have a shared experience with a, with a vacation or something like that, as opposed to after you pass away, them getting all that money. And that all last few sentences seems entirely illogical to me, but it's just something about the people who created the money, the parents in this case, or the wealth generally. And Throughout their life, it was almost a way of keeping score is building up wealth in part so they could retire. And to see those numbers shrink because right. they yeah. have to uh, if they start giving it away, it, it it just is not as easy as I would logically expect. Because, yes, once they realize they're not going to spend all of their money, they're never going to get to zero. 
um, I would think go ahead and gifting would would make a lot of sense. It just doesn't happen as often as you would think. It's actually pretty rare. Which also brings up the question, do you share the real numbers with your children? Well, that's that's secondary for me. Uh, really depends. What I've seen in, you know, over three decades, and as I think in, I was fortunate to have, you know, my four grandparents lived pretty long life, which eat with each subsequent generation. I'm 57. So my grandparents that lived into their 80s and 90s, but they also were depression era. Mm -hmm. They were more tight to the vest than say my parents who are 81, both of them um, and alive and well, they're tighter to the vest than, for example, I am. Uh, So I think that that's changed the willingness to communicate openly about this topic to include the numbers has shifted. But again, that's, I'm generalizing family to family. It, it, um, it it is, it can be different, but the individual numbers, I don't think that that's really a conversation that has to happen with the kids. Okay. The parents need to come to the, come to the realization of, okay, let's, let's give everybody 10 grand this Christmas just to surprise them. They've kind of already come to that number. They probably spent time talking with me. Hey, Ryan, is this a good number? And I probably told them you could do three times that. But yes, if that's the number, that's the number. Um, but if you're on the receiving end of whatever the number is, gosh, I mean, all there can be is is gratitude and love, I would think. You would hope. Yeah. Yep. Yep. What are some common mistakes that you've seen? Well, consistent with this conversation is not communicating. Right. So I've seen... Um, there's a lot of really smart, intelligent people in this world that don't know what an executor is or does and don't necessarily know how, you know, having real estate in multiple states and can cause hassle and expense. And so not being familiar with the process of probate or settling in a state, particularly in the age of online everything. Mm-hmm. If if any of us in the audience can think about how many websites, how many accounts that you have that have username and passwords, and they may vary. Well, okay, all of a sudden you fall over and 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 die. Who has those? Oh, you know, try, trying to, yes, trying to untangle that, and it really has to be untangled. Can be extremely frustrating. For somebody who's, I don't know, they're they're in other occupations and they have just don't understand how this area of the legal system works. So that's where I think it can be much less of a burden if they have some sense in advance. Because I will tell you, there's a lot of situations where the, that, I mean, adult kids have no idea who their parents' wealth manager is or financial advisor or who their attorney is. That's not a, not unusual. So I just sort back to not to oversimplify, but lack of communication is where all the mistakes happen. Not not updating, not updating, um, keeping documents up to date, uh, not having beneficiaries up to date. That can bring about some real shockers too. Yeah, that's another podcast in itself. You mentioned the executor, and let's go with the power of attorney. Whoever has that as well, they may not know what what the title means, what the responsibilities are. How do you let them know, oh, you're in for a, I need you to do this for me when I'm gone. 
Well, so the, um, and actually the power of attorney, there's two of them. One is called a durable power of attorney that in, in English really is more the financial power of attorney. And then there's a healthcare power of attorney. And actually these are the two documents that are relevant while the person is alive. Well, the will and trust is after you're dead and gone. The, these powers of attorney is, so let's say John is the financial power of attorney for his, for his parents. Well, when John is, he's still alive, but he's incapacitated. He has Alzheimer's, let's say, or Parkinson's or some horrible disease where he's no longer capable of making his own decisions. Then John, as the as the financial power of attorney, would be able to write checks on John's behalf, as an example, would be able to adjust the portfolio with John's financial advisor. He's basically acting on behalf of his father. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have control of the money for his own uses. So sometimes people will choose a financial power of attorney um, amongst the children who might be more familiar with those matters. Now, the healthcare power of attorney may be a different person, but it is assigning. So I'll just stick with the dad. So the dad, um, and let's say that the the mom is predeceased John. So John's the last parent in both these cases. So John might choose Jennifer as the healthcare power of attorney because while John is very familiar with, you know, financial issues and all that, he lives in, you know, Seattle and his father John is in Florida. And Jennifer happens to live fairly close in Florida because healthcare decisions can be a little bit more urgent. Uh may, maybe let's say Jennifer is a nurse. She has a better understanding of the issues uh, within healthcare decisions, hospital, that sort of stuff. But it is giving Jennifer the ability as the healthcare power of attorney to talk directly to the doctor about alternative forms of treatment for her father, John, and releasing of information and all those kinds of things. So both powers of attorney are who is going to represent you when you are still alive, but incapable of representing yourself. That's a great way of putting it. An excellent, excellent explanation. Now the executor or executrix, perhaps mm -hmm. it's the woman. Yep. Oftentimes the financial power of attorney matches up with the executor because the, the financial power of attorney is given the authority to handle many of the things that the executor or executrix would handle um, it's just in one case, the person is incapacitated. In the other case, the person is I got deceased. It. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now it also could be Patrice though. Proximity, just to use that as an example is okay. John lives in Florida. John's out in Seattle. Jennifer uh, might be named as the executrix just because handling a lot of the stuff She's locally. There. Yeah. Checking savings account, all that kind of stuff, putting the house up for sale, you know, so that would be another element. Oh, what can we give Brenda to do? <laughs> well, you know, Brenda was the youngest. She was always coddled, you know, always the always the family favorite and such. So uh, Brenda's just supporting John and Jennifer throughout this whole process. So. What about what about the professional team here? When should they be brought in? When should they be introduced to the kids? I mean, I would hope it be before the parents' demise. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is sooner versus later, and it really depends on their role. In my particular industry, they're, not all advisors are the same, uh, and, and that's not meaning good to bad, bad to good, but if, if, uh, they, if their financial advisor is really an investment manager exclusively, 
they might themselves have have no knowledge of the estate planning mm, and the mm, and the assets right. and the taxes and all that kind of stuff. Um, but advisors who work similarly to to as to me in terms of being holistic, I'm I'm constantly bringing up the topic of speaking to the children, and typically I've worked with their attorney that they have chosen, or I've referred an attorney, and that would also possibly go with a CPA or tax preparer. So it becomes um, a, a team for the parents, but that I will tell you is is much less common than common <laughs> to have that. But for parents who have that team, I think sooner than later in introducing the kids, we end up working with a lot of parents, children, and adult grandchildren quite naturally because they have had that kind of conversation conversation then there's a continuity to it as well yes and everybody's served by it i mean the parents are are served um by in effect um somewhat mentoring their children and uh in all of these responsible issues um i would say that the that the children might they have parents that are very aware of the importance of financial planning using professionals estate planning all this it, I, I would say is more likely that the children will pursue that at a younger age, which is healthy. And then also from the wealth manager or financial advisors, retaining those assets and relationships is good business uh, for me in this example, um, as opposed to seeing those assets that I've helped manage with the parents for 20 years, walk out the door, considering how difficult it is to uh, foster new relationships um, in this relationship. So everybody wins, I would say. I would think so, definitely, too. And and like I say, the continuity is there. The parents have peace of mind. Even the whoever is chosen as executor or has the power of attorney, whichever one it is, yep. they have some peace of mind. They understand that you know mom and dad. You know why things were done such and such a way. Yeah, yep. And it, it's... um. Gosh, recent situation. And it seems like a few times every year where one parent is dies first. Statistically, it ends up being the husband first mm -hmm. of the generation that's retired. Husbands tend to have more interest in this stuff. So, so now I have the widow and then there's adult children that have mom's best interest at heart that may not know me. And, and so that's always kind of, uh, I don't know how that's going to play out when I go meet with mom and the adult children, they there's a, there's a dynamic there that uh, can be kind of interesting um, in because in, uh, they don't they don't know me they don't have a relationship with me, all they know is that mom and dad worked with me for a lot of years which does carry weight, but they have their own advisor possibly or even amongst multiple siblings there can be a difference between siblings on need for the money. Mm. Uh, or opinions on how the money should be managed and spent. Um, it, and again, that's a time that's at a time of high emotion. And that's, yeah, those, those are not my most fun meetings and discussions. I love when they go well, but sometimes they don't go as everybody would hope. Wow. Have, have you seen, have you seen families, pull apart oh for sure yeah it's yes i remember gosh 15 years ago maybe um 
the husband and wife. And, um, and so I was, I was asking about relationships. I always want to know when I'm early on with clients and their relationships with their parents, siblings, and all that kind of stuff. And one of, one of the reasons that this couple, um, and they were retired, this couple wanted to make sure their estate planning was, was perfect is because the, the wife's parents' estate planning was not perfect. And it caused a, it caused conflict between the wife that was sitting in front of me and her sister where they had not spoken in years. And oh. so she's, she's in my conference room, she's tearing up. And, and that was part of the motivation to review everything and make sure everything yeah. was perfect. And, and so, yes, I've seen similar situations. There's just, again, the emotion of the time, but once the parents are mm -hmm. gone, the wealth is still there and money everybody wants more yeah and and so some people some siblings want their more to be more than their more uh so that can be a dynamic this was a really insightful episode ryan i i appreciate it is there something we did not touch on that you want to make sure does get mentioned I've, it's probably also already implicit in the words that I've said, but you know, tomorrow's not promised to anybody. And when somebody dies, the world stops, their world stops. And if you don't in our audience currently have a plan, let alone communicating that plan to the people you have named in that plan, uh, the government already has one for you. <laughs> uh, so I would, uh, I would encourage you while you might not want to think about this topic and get your estate planning documents in order Again, if, if you don't, the government will decide a lot of this. And if you get them in order, take that extra step and communicate to the to the loved ones that you've named in those documents. Uh, it can only be a positive. How can people reach you, Ryan? Well, they can always go to our website, uh, www.potterack.net. That's P-O-T-E-R-A-C-K.net. Uh, they can call our uh, phone number at 704 366-5776. That's 704-366-5776. And of course, we're out there on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We appreciate everybody tuning into the, the, the podcast. We also do virtual events every month if you're interested in sitting in on one of those. As for the podcast, don't miss an episode of Life Isn't Lived on a Spreadsheet. All you have to do, follow or subscribe, share with friends, colleagues, and yes, especially family. And thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Life Isn't Lived on a Spreadsheet. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. To ask questions about topics covered during the show or get a copy of Making It Count, Life Isn't Lived on a Spreadsheet by Ryan Potterack, visit www.potterack.net or give us a call at 704-366-5776. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Potterack Capital Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Potterack Capital Advisory does not offer legal or tax advice. Please consult the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstances. Nothing contained herein is to be considered a solicitation, research material, an investment recommendation, or advice of any kind. 
The information contained herein may contain information that is subject to change without notice. Any investments or strategies referenced herein do not take into account the investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific person. Product sustainability must be independently determined for each individual investor. Potterack Capital Advisory explicitly disclaims any responsibility for product suitability or suitability determinations related to individual investors.